Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Fran Spielman, and we're here in room 201A, which is normally used for committee meetings, but we don't have a committee. We have an interview. Lori Lightfoot, <laughs> thank you for joining us. My pleasure. We kind of have a committee, though, right? Okay, committee of the two. The committee of the public. Okay. Tough week in Chicago. 12 yeah. dead, 71 shot continuing into the week. What's wrong with the way the mayor has responded to this? Well, his first comments came on Monday at a, I think, hastily arranged press conference. And rather than showing empathy and taking real responsibility as the leader of our city and charting a specific path forward so that people could have confidence that there's a real comprehensive and substantive plan in place that will really start to heal and drive down the violence. What he decided to do was to victim blame and shame. He decided that this was going to be the moment of all moments that he was going to cast blame and responsibility on the victims of crime in those neighborhoods by talking about the fact that black and brown people lack values, that they're not neighborly, and other, frankly, pejorative terms that he used. And then to make things worse, he doubled down on it the next day. This is a page from the same kind of dog whistle, divisive rhetoric that has been used to separate people one from another instead of bringing us together. I I'm frankly shocked that someone who wants to be and should be the ethical and moral center of our city would use such insensitive, offensive, and frankly racist language. Two years ago, he played with this theme, if you remember. Yep. He was delivering the speech that, uh, on violence that mm -hmm. included the two-year police hiring surge, and then he dropped it because he was told, don't go there. Well, he, he was not just told, don't go there. He was socializing this very theme and adding on to it. Um, the absence of black fathers in neighborhoods, all of, the, again, the, the dog whistle rhetoric that's being used, frankly, by the right um, to attack and vict further victimize um, communities that are suffering and in need. Um, he was told very pointedly, you can't say that, and you must not say that. And this was at a time when the violence had escalated out of control in 2016, uh, to record levels. He was silent the entire summer. And the thing that he thought he needed to say to pander to someone, some base, but certainly not people in those communities, was to go on the attack and talk about the absence of values. This is now what he's picked up. He doubled down on it. And frankly, what I've told people this week is, Rahm Emanuel, look at that press conference. Look at those statements, because he showed his true self. This is who this man is. Now, it's easy to sit on the sidelines and be the quarterback, the Monday morning quarterback. You're mayor of Chicago tomorrow, let's say. Another bloody weekend, 
another police force that is feels like the mayor doesn't have their back there's a consent decree looming let me hear what you would do differently well I wouldn't sit and be reactive and I certainly wouldn't sit and be silent to, to really get at the issues of violence, we have to recognize that this is a public health crisis. The one person who's never standing up and talking about these issues is Dr. Marita of the Public Health Department. This is a public health crisis. When you see communities that are suffering from this level of violence, it shows that they are communities in distress. And we've got to approach this like it is a public health crisis. Obviously, law enforcement has a role to play, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But what we know, particularly on the west side, where a lot of the violence took place last weekend, we know that those are some of the poorest, most economically distressed, least invested in neighborhoods in our city. Austin in particular, every, year after year, unemployment rates that are off the charts, the number of people that are on public assistance. You can drive through portions of, of Austin and it doesn't even feel like you're in the same city. Now, of course, there are people of goodwill in every neighborhood across Chicago, but they need help, they need support to be able to uplift the quality of life of those neighborhoods. And what we hear is silence on those issues from this administration. So what I would do first and foremost is institute a comprehensive plan focused on uplifting those neighborhoods, identifying what's working, what the community assets are, and then backfilling that with the levers of city government, using city resources from a financial standpoint to help fill in the gaps, whether it's in economic development, moving jobs uh, into those neighborhoods, providing um, access to affordable and quality health care, mental health care uh, resources. Also, a big issue in those neighborhoods, is life expectancy, working to make sure that we understand what the drivers of life expectancy down are in those neighborhoods and providing healthy food options um, so that people... He says he does all that. He I doesn't mean, do... You know, he does... The food deserts, he, he's he does made a focus. Not. He does not. Having a, 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 a Whole Foods, which sells products that frankly, even the most financially well-off people are hard-pressed to pay for in Inglewood, that's not doing it. We need a real comprehensive plan on a neighborhood by neighborhood basis that is focused on uplifting those neighborhoods and really frankly inviting private capital and investment. We also need to think about as a city, rebranding how it is that we view those neighborhoods. When we keep allowing, frankly, no offense, the media to characterize these neighborhoods as basically Chirac and, and places that are lost and, and, and abandoned, that is not um, and that, frankly, it's not representative of the texture of those neighborhoods, but it also isn't inviting for private industry to come in and invest. So there's a number of things that we need to do to use our soft power to really help support and uplift those neighborhoods. And those things are just not happening now, and they're certainly not happening in a comprehensive way. Law enforcement obviously also has a role to play. There are just too many guns on the street. But what we constantly do is we react to the guns after they're already here. There needs to be a comprehensive plan here as well. We need to get with our federal partners, the U.S. Attorney's Office, ATF, DEA, FBI, not just here, but in Indiana and all the way down to the southern states, including Mississippi, where we know that these guns flow into our city um, with huge numbers. We've got to have a proactive plan to stop those guns before they get on our street. We also, frankly, need to be talking to our young people about ways in which they can resolve disputes um, in a way that is peaceful uh, and positive and not um, behind the trigger of a gun. 
So there's a number of different things that we ought to have in place that do not exist now because frankly, we have a mayor who doesn't see us, who doesn't see these neighborhoods, and now showing his true self really blames us for what's going on in those neighborhoods. You're basically talking about a Marshall Plan Absolutely. for each of these neighborhoods. A comprehensive plan and, and for lack of a better term, absolutely a Marshall Plan for these neighborhoods. And that's where, what needs to, that's where is the money going to come from for that? Well, frankly, some of the money is going to come from um, money that's already available in city resources, but prioritizing the neighborhoods. You know, for example, last Sunday, when the mayor finally made an initial kind of off-the-cuff statement about the violence that was just spiraling out of control, where did he do it? He did it in a press conference to announce a $10 million investment in the Riverwalk. With due respect, think about that $10 million or other tens of millions of dollars that are available right now in city government to invest in neighborhoods. Why aren't we talking about that? We don't need another Riverwalk when we've got neighborhoods who are literally crying out for the smallest crumbs of resources. Is it we sort of to, a let him eat cake kind of a thing? I mean, well, that's a nice frill when you have the money, but there's so many other Well, I would needs. say Rome is burning and Nero's fiddling. We need a mayor who is focused on... You don't like on, the Riverwalk? <laughs> no, it's, it's, not, it's not about the Riverwalk, but it's about prioritizing what needs to be addressed right now. These neighborhoods are crying out for resources and we are not listening to them. At least this mayor and this administration is not doing the hard and necessary work that needs to be done to really lay a foundation for transforming not, the, not just the neighborhoods but our city. And let me just put it this way. I think there's a moral imperative to do these things, but even if people's consciousness aren't pricked by the moral imperative, there's a financial imperative as well. Poverty is not cheap. It costs. It costs in all kinds of ways, from the criminal justice system to using emergency rooms as uh, preventative care, on and on and go on. And for those of us who remain, as our city continues to lose population, the financial cost for us is going to be profound. Are you worried about a, an additional exodus of, of, of African Americans because of weekends like we just saw? But not just African Americans. Yeah. When people see this, I mean, this has now become a big national story. It's in the New York Times, it's in the Wall Street Journal, it's on CNN. This is a national story because Chicago is so important to the health and well-being of our nation. If we don't fix this problem, we are going to be diminished in stature, but more to the point, people in the neighborhoods are going to be suffering. When I think about these issues, I think about young kids growing up in these ravaged neighborhoods, crime-plagued, who, who for whom fear becomes the earliest normal emotion that they, that they understand. Did you have that as a kid growing up? I mean, did you, do you, can you feel that? Do you relate to it, uh, how, and how do you? Tell, tell I, I us relate, about your own experience. I, I relate to it as a human being. No, I, I mean, know, we, but I'm I saying your up, upbringing. Yeah, Did you I ever feel that? I grew up in that? an environment of, of this kind of violence, but yeah, I know what it feels like to be poor. I know what it feels like to struggle. My father had to work two and three jobs every single day to keep us safe and to keep us in our home. My mother had no choice but to work a series of low-wage jobs in mental institutions, in nursing homes, and then at the end of her life as a home health care aide. When I graduated, when I finished my first year of law school and I went to work at a law firm, on an annualized basis, I made three times as much as my father at the height of his earning capacity. 
So I absolutely understand and know what it feels like to struggle. And then but your it, brother, the experience that you had with your brother. Let's my, talk my, about my, that. My brother, my brother had troubles from his earliest days. Um, he spent most of his adult life locked up. You know, for, I was a, for um, bank robbery, drug dealing, um, and other related crimes. His last um, stint in prison was 17 years um, on a federal drug sentence. And frankly, it's going to sound um, strange, but he was actually lucky because he could have been eligible for life imprisonment given the criminal history they had. And where so is he now? He's now out. And he actually lives in the same town uh, with my mother that I grew up in. But he's struggling, a 63-year-old man with a high school degree, no history of legitimate employment, and it's a real struggle for him on a daily basis. And that's a problem for Chicago with, with ex-offenders. Coming back, what about your experience with your brother tells you what to do there? Well, my experience, frankly, with my brother, but also my experience and really um, from, frankly, being a prosecutor, my experience as being a defense attorney, my experience tells me that what we need to do is we, when people have served their time, they served their time. They've been in the criminal justice system, they're out. If we really want to make sure that they don't um, become another recidivism statistic and endanger those neighborhoods, we've got to make sure that we eliminate the barriers for them being able to reintegrate into the community. I was just at um, the CARA uh, um, Foundation uh, earlier this week. That's an organization that helps returning citizens and other people who don't have a history of work, who are struggling, but trying to get back into the mainstream. It was uh, an unbelievable experience, but what those um, foundations and other um, social service agencies know is it's really difficult when you have grown up in trauma, when you have been on the wrong side of the law, when you have that brand on you, to get back up on your feet. Employers feel like they're taking a risk rather than investing. So as a mayor, knowing that and knowing literally every month thousands of people come back into the city from IDOC, and that doesn't count the thousands who are being warehoused at Cook County Jail, we have to deal with this issue. Frankly, we've got we've to stop criminalizing um, and in victimizing so many black and brown um, people and particularly young men in our community. That's, that's not helpful to them, it's not helpful to the community, it's not helpful to the city. But when people are violent or when they are doing harm, obviously they need to be brought to justice and they need to serve their time. But once they do, I think we have a moral and again fiscal obligation to make sure that we are doing everything possible to keep them on the right side of the law and that means eliminating ridiculous barriers to entry for them to get decent good paying jobs so that they can get back on their feet, take care of themselves, they invariably have family and children so that they can become um, respected and respectable members of our community. Let's look at what the mayor's reaction has been. Flood the streets of these five districts with up to 600 police officers additional on the weekend. Break up large gatherings. What's wrong with that? Well, as the architect of mass incarceration, going back to the crime bill in 1995 that he helped write and institute, of course that's his reaction because he really doesn't understand the depth and breadth of these challenges but also the opportunities. It's not enough, and frankly, it's the wrong-headed thing to do to say, let's have tougher sentencing, let's lock people up longer, um, and let's you know, flood these districts. It begs the question, of course, where were those resources before? Was 
Was there a distraction because of Lollapalooza on a weekend where young black kids who can't afford a $200 ticket to go to Lollapalooza, why weren't they being safeguarded in their neighborhoods? It also is not a viable long-term solution. We're really going to continue to ask our officers who themselves are under duress and stressed out um, and to work more overtime. And frankly, we're draining resources from neighborhoods on the north side who also feel the, the, the surge in crime and want, prediction, and want protection. It's not a viable long-term solution. It's a Band-Aid. It's reactive. It's not proactive. Well, there's bleeding going on. He's putting a tourniquet on it. So how would you put well, a tourniquet I would say, on it? You have I would, to stop I would, it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.